Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. I'm your host, Roy Samuel. I'm a serial entrepreneur, having founded multiple businesses, including one that I scaled and sold to a gaming company in 2018. I've been an investor for the last five years, and I'm also super passionate about neurodiversity, suffering with severe ADHD and dyslexia. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people, from actors to academics, investors to entrepreneurs, politicians, musicians, scientists, professional athletes, and everyone in between. And we talk to these people about risk, risks they've taken in their lives, risks they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. And on today's podcast, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Janos Barberis. Janos is the founder of Founders Taboo. He is a huge advocate for positive mental health as well, and formerly an advisor to the World Economic Forum. Janos, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. So I wanna dive straight into this, and we were just talking before, and you said something really interesting to me, which is you're willing to give your life, as it were, to what you're building right now. And from conversations we've had previously, I know how much of a risk you've taken to see things that you want to see in the world come to fruition. So where does that relationship with risk begin? Uh, I, I don't know where the relationship with risk begin. You know, you can, um, I think there's no point to self-diagnose, but I have always done what I wanted to do, and uh, I'm very happy that I never had to compromise on that. Um, if I look at the type of risk I've taken as an entrepreneur, the first risk was when I did the first FinTech Accelerator when I was in Asia. Um, I took a 500-pound overdraft for NatWest. I took a plane ticket to go to Hong Kong to then build the biggest accelerator. If I look at um, the new supercharger that we've done, which is a NetTech accelerator, um, the biggest risk I've taken was I knew I was still tired, but I still said, no, I'm going to build a company when I could have gone in a corporate and become the head of innovation, one of the large banks because of all the fintech background. So that was a cash flow risk. And then there's Founders Taboo as another risk. And I think that's, in a way, the biggest risk of all because I Founders Taboo came from two sources. A, you need to finance a company. So I actually financed it from a mortgage um, that I had because I knew it had to be done and I didn't have time to raise because, you know, you don't raise and build. You raise or you build. Yeah. And I wanted to build because I need to solve. So I took that financial risk, which now is, is getting better. But then the second one was, personally, the reason why I actually found this taboo started was I was in a crisis. I, I did a crisis over the summer about a year ago. And... I said, okay, I need to see someone. I tried the NHS for a long time. It didn't work. It didn't work. I mean, it's not so. What? Le- where? Where were you at this time? What were you doing at the time? So I was in, I was in Greece, and I, I always had, I was feeling a bit down. I was always scared about, um, about my own mental health, um, because I also had a, an immune condition before. I was in the hospital for, so it, it was always in the background. But the point is that at one point I do a crisis. And I was on the pipes of the NHS. Um, mm-hmm. It took me about a year, a year and a half to get into the pipe. It wasn't going nowhere. And then I said, okay, NHS is not working. Let's go private. Mm-hmm. And so when I got private, um, the guy quoted me 10 sessions at 500 pounds a session, five grand. And I had the five grand, but in my head as an entrepreneur, I go, but I built a huge company with a 500 pound overdraft. That's mm. 10x more. Mm. There's no way I can't build something bigger with 10x more. And I know 5,000 pounds doesn't sound like much, right? And so I guess this was a risk because instead of taking care of myself and seeing someone who, by the way, could be bad or good, I decided to build a company, which is Founders Taboo. And so I think Founders Taboo is the single biggest risk I've taken. 
Um, but I'm happy because I think it, it, it helped me stay grounded, even though not healed, because it's a journey. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's... Uh, so why is Founders Taboo a bigger risk than starting your own FinTech Accelerator in Hong Kong or, or EdTech Accelerator? What is it about Founders Taboo specifically that, that gives it that additional layer of risk? Because there's two elements. Uh, when, when you take a risk on, on a mortgage, I also include my family on this. It's, yeah. it's an incredible, I have an incredible family house in, in Austria uh, where we do Founders Retreat and where we bring people. It's a place where I stayed there for, to heal for about a year. Mm. And I always wanted that house to be a place uh, for founders to heal. So it's, it's a huge place, uh, it's, 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 it's big. You can have like 20, 50, 20 30 founders there. Uh, but I had to take a mortgage because I had to keep it. So that's the risk because now I'm involving my family into this, right? Suddenly, because mm. my mother lives in that house. Right, so right. I fuck up the mortgage, Yeah. my mom is out. Yeah, I mean, that is a big risk. How, how does, because that's a level of stress I don't think I could deal with. I've dealt with a lot of stress in my time. I've put myself in, a, a huge amount of debt. When I sold Real Sport, I was in a massive amount of debt myself. So I've, I've been through that journey, but um, that's, a, that's another level. I mean, how, how do you deal with that? So I think the, um, you deal because you think it's the right thing to do. Like it's, 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 it's in, in a way, the, the way you rationalize it. And I think that there's also that element of, there is something a bit insane about certain entrepreneurs that have a, a risk appetite, which is totally off the chart, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's many entrepreneurs that have family, kids, married. I'm not married, I don't have kids, but you know, looking at your partner in the eye and saying, don't worry, we'll make it, when yeah. you have 50 bucks on your bank account and you have a kid upcoming, but you, you really believe it. And, and I, I really don't have a single doubt that Founders Taboo will be successful. Mm. Because how do you then measure success is, is it having helped 10 founders? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've already did that. Is it financially going to be successful? Yeah, I think so. Um, will it be a unicorn? I don't know if it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the second risk that I took beyond the financial risk is, is which perhaps might have been a mistake, but you know now it's committed, so you're in, is I had to take care of myself. So instead of going to see a professional to help me and to understand what's wrong or right with me, depends how you want to look at it, mm -hmm. I took that money and I took that money to build a company to help other people understand that. And as I do this, I learn about myself. So I, I took a personal health risk, if you want to say, and then yeah. a personal financial risk. And the reason why that risk is different is health is health. I've learned it the hard way. I was in the hospital for one year yeah. and I didn't do that. And family is family. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's a great point and you're right. There are so many entrepreneurs who have themselves in precarious situations throughout so many periods of times. I saw it with my dad, you know, there's two kids, he had zero money and he was hell bent on it was gonna work. Now, did it work or not? Hard to say, um, but you know, it's that absolute, you know, infallible belief in oneself that you need to have as an entrepreneur. And as we were saying before as well, I think the great thing about uh, Founders Taboo or, or any really genuinely mission-driven project is success shouldn't just be defined on financial returns, it should be defined on how effectively you solve that mission, how effectively you address that purpose and the fact that you are helping so many people. Um, you mentioned something interesting to, interesting to me earlier, uh, and I guess this is for a lot of, of the audience for this podcast quite interesting as well, is you noticed that first time founders are not doing a good job of paying attention to their mental health. 
why do you think that is and, and what do you think the dangers are? So the, the, the way we figure it out is, I mean, personal journey, like, you know, um, I mean, there's different elements, right? So uh, unfortunately, the current state of the ecosystem is a lot of founders are, are, are males, right? Mm. And I think young guys, I mean, guys don't talk about mental health in general. Young guys don't talk about mental health in general. Young guys that are founders, they think they're Superman. So the whole thing of me talking of my mental health thing, you don't do it. So I personally knew it. Now, we then did a, um, a workshop at the, um, at the university in the UK on a course on entrepreneurship. Okay. They all want, to, do you all want to, are you doing this to be in business or do you want to do this to be an entrepreneur? I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay, fantastic. Is mental health important? Yes, it's important. Is mental health as an important, is mental health as a entrepreneur important? And then they go, no. So it's funny how first time entrepreneur, you go in the street, you go, is your mental health important? Yes. Do you want to be an entrepreneur? Yes. Do you think that mental health as an entrepreneur is important? And they go, no, they don't see the connection. Because Super I, interesting. I think a lot of people don't, don't get it. And second time founders, because of what they've gone through, um, which could be anxiety, but all the way to maybe understanding, which is, you know, it's because I have ADHD that I became this mm -hmm. way, or it's because I'm bipolar I become mm -hmm. this way. But it doesn't have to be clinical. It could literally be those stress factors which are eating me up, which that, that depression or that down moment or that burnout. No, it's something and I don't want it anymore because it doesn't make me more productive. It doesn't yeah. reflect well on my team. So I think you, once you know what you know, yeah. you don't want to make it happen again. Yeah. But I think you realize what you miss out. Absolutely. I think if I reflect back on my own personal story as well, um, during real sport, I wasn't a human being. Like I wasn't paying attention to anything with myself. And then this time, I would say that was the case for the first two years. But then as soon as I was able to take the foot off the pedal a little bit, I knew that the first thing I had to focus on was regaining balance, regaining you know, any sort of mental space back, but I didn't, I didn't realize how much of a bottleneck it was becoming for myself and for my business the first time round. And if you extend that, like, cause I'm, if you extend this, which is, I think you, you really have the other element around, um, but what if you don't do it? And then you have some very high level failures of companies mm. that has also been done because of founder burnout, or I mean, like, look at what has happened with, with Uber in certain respect. Yeah. Look at what has happened with WeWork. Look at what has yeah. happened with Terranos. Look at what has happened with FTX right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think you, you then get to realize if this doesn't get checked, mm. then you really run that risk. And so, for example, the reason why I'm, I'm being so active on myself, even though, look, I'm still doing many things wrong, like even two days ago oh, yeah. I was crying. No, I, I am, but the, I guess the point is, you know, doing founder's taboo doesn't make you a saint. Doing founder's taboo just makes you, I think, more vulnerable that, okay, you have empathy, but now you need to have relatability, relatability, yeah. Yeah. and I don't have it. But the reason why I'm mentioning that is because I don't think I would be able to cope with the pressure of doing a series A at the level that we need to do mm. if it was given to me today. And, and, and this, I'm convinced of it. I think that balance of you as a, as a founder and being able to think, through, because if you think about what is entrepreneurship, it's about picking small signals, right? It's, mm. it's about being hypersensitive to trends. But if your, 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 your capacity of capturing signal is overwhelmed by yeah. negative emotion, good emotion, just overwhelmed, you don't see clearly anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the more you raise, the faster the decisions are happening because you have more people. I yeah, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of unicorn founders and a couple of C-suite of unicorns whilst filming this, and it's insane. Once it gets to that level, when you have that much money, and obviously you're always raising on a future valuation, and then you have the pressure to generate that revenue to justify that future valuation before the next round and justify the next bit of growth. And it's insane to see how the decision making just, it, it becomes counterintuitive in many ways. And, and a founder who understands building a business from zero to one, zero to 10,000, zero to a million, that, that change in, in the way of doing things, is, it, is, it is terrifying. Um, one question I have for you is, with the current trend of entrepreneurs, well, of, of investors now looking at more solid businesses, do you think that the types of pressure associated with raising venture capital are going to change? Venture capital is going to become more patient in the way that you would typically associate with private equity? Or is VC still going to have that, you know, yes, there's a lot of lip service going on about slow, sustainable growth, but a lot of people I speak to behind the scenes say it's still growth at all costs? I mean, where do you see things right now? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I think that the, the VC industry is... I don't think there's a reason to change the way they deploy cash. Not that I think it's right, I think it's mm. wrong, but... Look, look at COVID. We went back to normal. Like, we had an incredible crisis that, by the way, affected people, including founders big time, between cash flow, family, mm. remote work, not remote work, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And now we're back to normal. You go in the street, it's exactly the same. I don't think VCs will change. <laughs> I think they go, yeah, crisis is a crisis. I also think that a lot of the VCs that went through the dot-com, they're not necessarily there anymore. Yeah. Very few are, so for, sure. for a lot of them, it's the first time. So, no, I, I actually don't think so. And also, I don't think so because... I don't think, I think that there is the incentive on how VC funds work. I think somehow it's, it's, it's messed up. Mm. I think that, you know, the 220 element, so I guess for people listening, which is, you know, 2% of how much you raise, you get as a management fee, so your salary essentially. And this is irrespective of performance. You have yeah, it. yeah. And then 20. And you can even see up to three and 30 Correct. during the crazy days. And you, you can see that, yeah. but, but as a result of it, a, they need to spend it because the more, the faster they spend, the faster ROI on paper they get, the faster they get second fund so that the management fee becomes bigger. Yeah. So I, I don't see why it would slow down, actually. And not just that, there were some term sheets that got leaked. I want to say Tiger Global. I don't want to get sued, so I'll say it wasn't Tiger Global, but it might have been, um, where they were actually, some of the GPs were charging 2% of AUM. Yeah. So they were just investing in crazy upwards valuations yeah. so they could charge 2% uh, of the, the value of the portfolio rather than the value of the funds raised. And when, you, when I saw that, it was like, well, obviously this bubble is going to pop. Yeah. But it's pretty crazy on that side. And, and now Tiger Global has the other issue, which is I think now they, they're not paying themselves the management fee anymore. Yeah because of the underperformance of the fund, but because they're not paying the management fee, all the people that joined Tiger Global to get a high management fee are leaving. Yeah. And so now Tiger Global is an empty shell of yeah. people leaving the boat because they're not getting their fat salary and there's something still to manage. Yeah. So now they're in a very weird position. I know, they're, they're totally 
totally in a difficult position, 100%. But if they go down, I mean, that's going to cause shockwaves. Is it? I don't know. I think so. For the, for the amount of LPs who lost money, I think it's only going to be a negative thing for the venture ecosystem, right? You've got a traditionally growth equity, private equity investor who's come into the venture ecosystem. A lot of those LPs who would have been interested in the venture ecosystem, but not necessarily entered before, now having the most terrible experience and like, fuck this asset class. But let, let's, see, let, let's see who get burned, right? Because when FTX went down, for example, uh, people were making fun of Sequoia. Ha ha ha, Sequoia, mm. oh, you're so smart and you think. And, but Sequoia, they made 1.6 billion in profit from them. Exactly. So the first fund or fund whatever invested 150 mil out of which they got yeah. 1.7 billion out of it. Yeah. And then the next fund invested 3 million, so net net they in 1.3. So I, mm-hmm. I guess the question is, let's see how much people really lost. Yeah. yeah. So let's look at the gain that was realized before. Because on the way up, Tiger Global was making a lot. So the question is, you know, when did people cash out? Yeah, that's true. That's interesting. And I guess because there is such little visibility over actually what private funds are returning, it's hard to know. But it's a really interesting one. Want to go back to mental health yeah, with you. What is your views? And I've openly spoken about this before. Um, I take anti-anxiety medication every day. It's, it's made... Uh, huge difference to my life. Um, I think ADHD can really, really accelerate anxiety. Um, When you have anxiety and your brain can't stop running a million miles an hour, the two often sort of combine to make a a lethal combination. Uh, So I take anti-anxiety medicine every day. Um, It was something that I was incredibly hesitant of taking about for many, many years. I started taking it late 2021. So just about a year ago now. Huge difference to my life. Huge difference. What is your view on medication? And, and so it's, it's a bit of a controversial topic. No, it's not at all. Look, I think it's it's I think it's magical um, if it's done right. Like I genuinely believe. Like when when I had that crisis about a year and a half ago, um, I was really in a dark place, and I said I need medication, otherwise I'll kill myself. Mm. Like it was it was evident, right? And so then I. But the reason why I didn't want to get medication is because the way the NHS presented to me. I know that what I have, so I've been diagnosed with depression and bipolar, right? So I believe that what I have allows me to be a more sensitive founder in certain Mm -hmm. ways, right? Mm -hmm. And I've seen certain family members that have deep mania, bipolar, etc. And I've seen how medication can make them like as exciting as this table. And I was scared that, and the NHS was very blank about this. They Mm -hmm. were like... They were, they were about to um, stuff me with medication at the level that was so high that really? you can't feel anything. Yeah. But why do they do this? Because then when they call you and you go, how are you feeling? You go like, nothing. Say, so, okay, cool. So you don't need a psychiatrist now, right? Because yeah. it's done. And so I, I didn't want to take it. And I delayed it, delayed it, delayed it until I was in crisis. And I go, fuck, I need the meds. So I went to get the meds. And when I took it, I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's how it feels to be normal. And, and then I, I took for about a year and then I became to have a cycle of me traveling again. I kind of forgot to take it. And then I don't know if I had normalized. So now I'm, I'm off them. Um, and I try to invest in myself to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anyone out there that uh, I understand why, your hesitance for me the the hesitance was i didn't want to be 
numbed. Yes, I didn't want to lose my essence. I didn't want to lose my essence yeah. and I, I was scared of it, but to try it, uh, do it in, in a small dose, go to see a doctor, say, look, can I try a treatment plan for three months, two months? And I promise you, it's, it's it, medications are chemical, so it's like, it's input-output, right? Yeah, it's not like 100%. over time. And yeah. it is life-changing, and I'm at least very happy that I've been able to experience mm -hmm. what it is to be quiet in my head. Yeah, 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 totally. And I think it's so important that people like us talk about it because I still find that although people are very open about neurodiversity, they're very open about anxiety, depression, different um, you know, uh, uh, conditions, different labels, but still people are very hesitant to talk about medication. It still seems to be that thing which people are, are very worried about. And I, I opened up, and you know, we spoke, speak to founders day in, day out, there was a day where I opened up my calendar to speak to founders about mental health and I spoke to a few founders who genuinely felt that if they were open with their investors, open with their teams about taking medication for bipolar, for, for whatever it was, that they wouldn't be able to uh, attract talent, they wouldn't be able to attract investment and I think it's a, a real shame that people feel that way. So, you know, on, on this thing with, with, with Founders Sabu, we've been thinking a lot about it and, and personally we, we've, we've done it, which is so how do you change an industry, right? So, of course, there's the founder's pain point. There's what you've gone through, what I've gone through. There's what people outside that room go through. That's immediate pain point. This short, medium term, we need to solve that. But a lot of it is also induced by an industry, mm. the startup VC-backed industry. And that's a three and a half trillion dollar asset class is people being invested. There's a tag of globals coming in and going to your founder saying, hey, by the way, open your round. I'm going to put 100 million in. Yeah. You go, yeah, wow. And then you go, fuck, now next round I need to raise 500 million. But how do you? So it's induced, right? And I was really thinking, which is, you know, should you be open as a founder or should you not? And I don't think founders are ready to be open, but I think founders are ready to say that they do something for themselves. So in an ideal world, I think that term sheet, and, and we're starting to do small angel investment with that term in the sheet, uh -huh. which is 1% of the money we invest in you, you have an obligation to spend it or lose it in your well-being, and you need to report that to the board. You cool. cannot, you do not need to tell us, and you should not tell us what you have. Mm. Your bipolar, your condition, your med is yours, but you as a founder, you need to spend that money, and you need to say how that money has been spent. I think that's an awesome idea. That's single really line, fucking cool. Single line. So, how are you guys delivering that? Is that through which? Is that through Supercharger? So, through uh, so Supercharger, we'll look at if we can implement it. Founder Sabu, we've done it on two, three angel rounds. So, what do you do? We adjust a term sheet. So, we take the safe and we adjust a condition in term sheet. Interesting. Because it makes founders, you as a founder, you then have the obligation. And yeah. I would love to have. More VCs joining that. Um, and I know VCs are money-driven individuals. That's their job. I get it. But this is also why we've, we've now uh, started. Um, we made a request to do a PhD at King. So now there's, there's going to be a, there's a proposal that we have a fully funded PhD student that over three years yeah. will look at the correlation between healthier founder and healthier return and what yeah. intervention allows to have the more bang for your buck as a venture capitalist. Yeah by making the founder healthier. Is there or is there not correlation and can we identify it? If we can, it's a highway to change trillions of money going into startup world because now to investors, you're like, I don't, need, I don't need you to care. 
about founders' mental health. Yeah. I'm just showing you that this will increase your fund return by 2%. It's awesome. I mean, it's so true. And I, you know, I'll be open about this. I, I genuinely think real sport would have gotten a lot further had me and my co-founder had spent on our well-being. Yeah. Like there's, no, there's a zero doubt in my mind. Yeah, me, me. Zero doubt in my mind that it would have gone further. And I think any founder who's been through the ringer would agree with that as well. So it's, it's really, really cool. I love the idea. And I want to discuss potential collaboration yeah, with this as well after that, because I didn't actually uh, appreciate that's what you guys are doing. But I think it's fucking awesome. Um, okay, cool. So we've spoken a lot about founders' mental health here. How do you think founders' mental health impacts the way that they grow their culture and grow their team? And, and what, do you, what are the, I suppose I'm asking, what are the specifics that you've seen where founders' um, neglection of their mental well-being is really taking an impact? What are the areas? I, I don't, so look, I think that this is very founder-specific and, and, and this is the topic about culture and mm -hmm. culture startup, etc. Um, I, so I can only take my personal example, right? Um, I think a founder's mental health condition, whether bipolar, anxiety, depression, whatever, a condition, right? Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it impacts the culture. I think one is a medical condition that you personally have and you can have a disconnect between you being depressed and having an incredible mm -hmm. culture of caring within the company. Mm -hmm. Because founders have that amazing capacity to sometimes shield who they are to other people. We lie to our investors about how we feel. We lie to our team about how we feel. We lie to our partner about how we feel. We lie, right? Because we need to pretend. Mm. So I, I think you have a capacity of disconnecting. I think the moment when the team start feeling it mm. is when the neglect goes from mental to physical. Mm. When you physically start to neglect yourself, then the team feels it in a way. And of course, you don't carry yourself the same way. You don't have the same energy. You feel more down. You feel more thin. You don't have the same yeah. aura. You don't bring them in. And, and this, I've, I've, I've seen it before. Yeah. And, I've, and I've, even with the current supercharger, there was a whole period about a year ago, like I said, where I had this and, and the team came to me, but the culture was not affected by my condition. If anything, the culture was even more caring. Right? So I, 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 I don't think that there's a correlation. I don't think if a founder is depressed, the team gets depressed. Mm. I think there's a disconnect between this. Yeah, um, it's fascinating. And I think, um, I think you're totally right. And are you familiar with uh, Carl Jung and the theory of the, the shadow? Uh, no, but I know Carl Jung, but not the theory of shadow. Fine. The theory of shadow is essentially everyone has got this shadow version of themselves. Everyone has got this darkness within them. And people who tend to live lives where they need to really neglect the shadow, particularly founders, for example, because you're always appearing like you've got your things together, you've got to be super efficient, you can't be lazy all of the things that you need to be as a founder to raise, to build that culture, essentially means that you do not deny your shadow. Mm -hmm. You deny the shadow within yourself and that shadow builds. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for founders is that, and, and what Jung says is you need to integrate the two. If you can integrate the two, the shadow doesn't get out of control. So it's okay not to be 100% efficient 100% of the time, because you've got, you've got to allow in a bit of laziness. It's okay not to be this never-ending well of empathy, 
because sometimes you need to be selfish, for example, or maybe empathy is the wrong um, opposite. And I think that's why it's so difficult as a founder. But, but I think on, on, on this one that you said, which is, I think on the empathy, so for example, I have an issue, which is I, I do have a level of selflessness, which is very high, Yeah. which also therefore explains why I've built certain companies. I've been yeah. the founder of an accelerator. Yeah. So what is my job? Make other people very successful. Yeah. And they've been very successful. We got three unicorns out of us, out of 49 companies. So the ratio is insane. That's incredible. Founders <laughs> Taboo, it's about other people being successful. So yeah. I'm happy to be in the shadow of people yeah. because I have the level of selflessness and I'm super relaxed about it because there's yeah. no ego into this. But what you were talking about, I think um, the capacity of, of, of founders to be, um, um, not have that, uh, not give the, the empathy. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. It, it takes energy out of you. Yes. Um, but selflessness, it's a real question, which is if you look at, I don't know if I can think of a huge CEO of a venture back company. I don't know if you could make it really to the unicorn club without being selfless. Mm. Exactly. And I, this, I, I really don't know. Now the question is, do you need to go to the Unicorn Club, which is another topic. It's another really good question, but, but yeah. I think that level of selflessness, but again, I think there's something of selflessness. Like again, you, 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 we said this at the beginning, but you put your life to build a company. Yeah. Like you put you on the line. Absolutely. You're physically on the line to build something when you take an investor's money. Yeah, absolutely. You're willing to do a sacrifice. Yeah. Whether it is health, family, relate, there is a level of sacrifice you're willing to do. There's no, the risk reward always has to happen somewhere. Yeah. And you take a risk with your life because you have a vision. And I don't think that founders are money and ego driven. If they were money and ego driven, well, they would be in venture capital. Yeah. Or, or, they, would, or they would take another <laughs> job. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think money and ego is what is driving founders to, to be totally agree. founders. Um, I totally agree. And when I see guys like SBF, and this is not a popular opinion, but having spoken and as of you know, as have you to many unicorn founders, the game that you end up playing because of the flows of capital, because of the ways that PCs want you to spend their money, because of the ways that people want to get upwards valuations, guys like SBF probably didn't start out like I want to funnel loads of money out of this. I want the game can corrupt you. You know, the game, I think, can totally change the way that you are as a person. And I think that's the way the system's set up. And, and you know, with SBF, like, I, I've, I've made a mistake, which is, and I've, and I've, I mean, I didn't apologize to Sam because he doesn't know me, but I, I caught myself with a team. At one point, I was commenting about the investment to SBF, who lost money, who won money. So I looked at the numbers, right? Mm. And then I was a bit, no, one second, we're talking about a person yeah, exactly. who went from 26 billion to maybe 100K. Is there fraud? Is there not fraud? Let's see. I don't know. Perhaps. But also let's remember that it was a coordinated attack on his exchange to bring him down. Exactly. Now, if he had been solid with the right process in place, maybe he would not have gone down. But mm -hmm. what about the human SBF? Now, I know people can say, yeah, but what about the human of people that put money in the exchange and mm -hmm. lost it? I agree. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about founders' mental health, I don't want to be in his head. Yeah, I really don't want to be in his head. Oh no, that's not a good place to be. I, right I don't know now. if you know. You said you have anxiety. I mean, I have a level of anxiety on certain things. I don't know how I could sleep with myself. Yeah, thinking that my company went from forty-five billion to quasi zero. Yeah, and that people may call me. 
And like, the I'm scared people calling me yeah. to go out to a dinner, right? Yeah, you know, that feeling as well. So it's like, people calling money? I'm like, because the, the, it goes back to the first point. SBF raising 100K, I think he knows how to handle it. And I know he generally can say, I will return that money. Yeah. When SBF raised exactly. 400 mil, exactly. could he really look at the investor and go, I return that money? And I don't have the feeling I'm lying to you. Exactly. You could, you could lose it. Exactly. But you fundamentally know I'm not cheating you with that money and I will work for it. And exactly. I think at one point, you just go, I'm really... My brain is broken here. Yeah. I can't handle this influx of cash at this age. And, I, and this is where I think like the VCs, everyone will be the first to crucify him. But where was the support? Where was the support of those investors saying, you need to put these processes yeah, but in place? They were, you they know? were the first to crucify him, but they were the first to knock on your door and say, hey, by the way, can you open your router and add another 200 million? Exactly. Exactly that. Like Tiger's technique. I mean, I know a lot of founders that got Tiger's in a lot. I know a handful of founders that got Tiger's yeah. investment. Tiger calls you and say, hey, do you want to reopen your round for us? Yeah. They, they call you to inject money into you. When you say, no, my round is actually because no, no, but what about another 200 mil? Yeah. Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> exactly. Any, anyone needs to put themselves in, the, in, that sh in that pair of shoes. Very difficult to do. But to understand at that age, you know, getting that level of capital, getting that level of exposure, it's the sort of thing which is going to send someone into a potential mental break. Yeah. Like it, it, that it's an insane level of pressure. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen it with unicorn founders as well. Some handle it better, some handle it worse. But, you know, when, when you get to that level, like it's not, it's a different game that most people are playing psychologically. And it's a huge amount of pressure, especially if you are, and I'm not, I don't know SPF, but if you are someone with less than 100% psychopathic tendencies, it can be a very difficult thing to do. But yeah, that's what I want to ask you five and i might actually add a sixth question today um <laughs> sure. just because it's you and I, I think i think you'll potentially really like this one so my first question is but i think you have answered this one anyway is what's the single biggest risk you've taken and where are you look right now? It, look it, it was found as taboo um as i said it was a personal health risk i could have seen a psychiatrist and spend that money on the psychiatrist instead i'd use that money to seed the company and I'm very happy of having done that today. And I think I'm a better person for having done that. It was a family risk because uh, we've been fighting for years for that huge family house that we now have, but I had to finance it somewhere. So on those things, it's the biggest risk I have taken, but I, but I really don't have that. It's gonna be the biggest reward, at least on a human capacity. I think it's the right thing. Amazing. What are you most proud of? Um, I always say that, and I will always say it is the team. Um, I've, I've, I know what it is to lose a company. Mm. Um, and I think the team was this, but I think, because I was writing actually my, um, I was, I'm doing my PhD, so I'm finishing it, I'm doing the acknowledgement. Essentially, it's, it's the human you get to meet in the journey. Mm. It's, I think it's more than just the team, it's the human connection. Like my PhD supervisor that gave me a lesson of humanity over the last eight years of me doing it. It's um, a mother that... is willing to give you anything because you follow your passion. It's a team that is willing to dedicate to a vision that you have for driving it. So I think the, the humanity, this I'm really proud of, yeah. even though technically you should be proud of yourself. Yeah. Talking about- Selflessness. Selflessness, et cetera. Yeah. So you should be proud of myself for having built that team, proud of myself yeah. having this. But I think no, the, the, the team, I always said it, and it's, 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 I think it's what stays. 
companies, they go, they leave. Teams stay, they go on, they do an amazing career. And I think this always. 100%, I think that's an amazing answer. I think that speaks to you so much as a, as a person to see that emotion, to see how much that humanity means to you. And, and that's why I know what you're doing with Founders Tevo is gonna be an incredible success because you actually care. You know, you actually care. So it's amazing to see. All right, what do you think it takes to be successful? Um, depends how you want to measure success. I think, yep. it, it, I think you, it, it takes to do what you want to do to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, I think when it comes to founders, this is this notion of founder market fit. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it, if you're not, there can be a thousand people saying, I'm going to be solving founders mental health. But if you don't understand it personally and you don't have the network, the access, the feeling, you don't have the founder market thing. I think being true to yourself is what takes to be successful. I think if you go against yourself, you won't be. Money comes and goes. We talked about SBF. Yeah. He was successful three months ago. What is he now? Not successful? No, he did change genuinely the crypto industry at scale. Fucking yeah. congratulations. Yeah. So no, I, I think being true to yourself is what makes you successful. Another great answer. I love that. I love that. And I, I love as well that, um, you know, it's so clear. It's on how do you define success, right? Success is different for everyone. So that, that, that's great. Okay. On the flip side, is there anything that stands out to you that you wish you had done differently? Uh, it's, it's a great question. Um, I don't know because I do believe that you're the sum of your experiences and that the Yamas that you have today is different from the Yamas that you would have before. Um, I, I think on the way down, and I think that's a, it's a big lesson, mm -hmm. is we as founders, we are not taught to fail mm. when we are going to fail statistically, right? It's nine out of 10. Absolutely. And, and failing gracefully. When I fell down the first time, I was so hurt. I was hiding. I was not communicating. I was barricading myself. I was yeah. burning bridges. Yeah. And I think I made a mistake on that. Yeah. And, and I think this is something that I would have done differently. I think the risk I would have exactly taken it because I think you need you, you need to take risk to, to change something radically, right? So, so yeah, I think I think better communicating on the way down um, would have been something I would have done differently. I think that's amazing advice considering what's going on in the world at the moment. I think that's advice a lot of people should yeah. should really be listening to because um, you're right. You know, you've got to keep those lines of communication open at that time, and it's something which. I remember when I, I was a non-exec on a company which went down and, and yeah, you know, I did the exact same thing as you. So it's definitely something I wish I'd done differently. It's great advice. Um, okay, my second to last question for you is, 15-year-old Janos walks in, what are you going to tell him? Um, I guess try to enjoy the journey a bit sooner. It's great. True or not, I don't know, but like try to enjoy the journey about sooner. I'm 35, I'm gonna turn 35 soon. I'm still not fully enjoying what I'm doing. Like, I love what I do, mm -hmm. but I'm not enjoying myself mm. fully. Try to enjoy it sooner if you can. Uh, and, and maybe actually, the other thing is be thankful to your parents sooner. Yeah, yeah. Amazing advice again. And my last question, first time I've ever asked this question, but I think considering how passionate you are, I would love to know the answer to this. If there was one thing you could change in the world, for, you know, outside of ourselves, one thing that you could change in the world, 
what would the difference in the world you'd like to see? Look, I think practically for, for Farnstable is if we can change that single line in every single term sheet being mm. signed by venture capitalists saying that founders have to take care of themselves, that's 400,000 of VC-backed founders being changed. It's 400 million of entrepreneurs, which don't take necessarily VC money, but if you agree that entrepreneurs are changing the world, they're creating jobs, they're making the life of others better. Yeah. And their own family, to be frank, I think that single line or sentence, adding this has disproportionate power. Absolutely. Because that line can change how three and a half trillion goes into an industry. That's and, awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I, it's all about people, right? It's all about people. And if you can get your people feeling good, how they treat their people, how they go home after a long day at work and treat their families. Like that is how you change the world. Yeah. It's literally micro connections with different individuals and improve their well-being so they can pass it on. Janos, thank you so much for coming on. Man. I, appreciate I really it. appreciate it. Thank you.